Hello, I'm Lara Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Today, we're talking about nourishing vegetarian meals with Amy Chaplin. Amy is a professional chef and James Beard award-winning cookbook author who has worked in both restaurant and private kitchens. Her time with private clients in particular helped her build a repertoire of simple, healthy dishes and go-to pantry items like dressings, dips, and crackers. She shares those recipes in her latest book, Whole Food Cooking Every Day, along with meal planning tips so that readers can create their own delicious meat-free meals at home. Amy visited the Book Larder Kitchen in October 2019, where she was in conversation with Seattle writer and photographer Erin Goyaga. Here's Amy Chaplin with Whole Food Cooking Every Day. Thank you for coming to Seattle. This is your first time. It is. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how many of you, if you just got the book, if you had a chance to look through it, but it's so dense. And I say that with the most respect and adoration because there's so much information here. This is a cookbook of creating like the basics that will be with you forever. Also, the way the book is organized, it's a little bit different than, you know, kind of classic books. And it is about almost like a pantry. There's all kinds of recipes, but it is almost like building a pantry and understanding what it takes to make a cracker or a pate, nut milks and nut butters and all these things. A cake recipe that is so basic that you can make all these adaptations. And it's a little bit different than your first book. And you also had a different title. Yes, Yes. we did originally. Thanks, everyone, for coming. I'm really honored that it's full. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a really good good feeling. feeling. (laughs) So the the second book, after I finished the first book, that just took everything out of me. And it was my whole life up till then, cooking professionally, growing up in Australia, cooking the way I did with my family and my mother at home and, and sort of all of the places I worked. So I felt like it was like the best of what I'd learned throughout my career. So I just thought I'm just never going to write another one. I kind of felt like there was like so many recipes in that. It's like 170 or something as well. And like, what else would I do? I just make variations on those things. And I wanted to do it again, even though you have these rose-colored glasses and you forget how hard it is and how you're crying for like weeks over editing and it's just so hell. But (laughs) I knew that I wanted to, yeah, just do something different. And, And I kind of wanted something that was really, really useful. I feel like you, you hear, you get a lot of feedback after you write a book, as you know, and you hear questions and, and you see the way with social media, you see the way a recipe is taken and where it goes. And that's really fascinating to me. And I see like, you know, the red lentil soup recipe from my first book, I've probably mentioned this today. You know, people add curry and add things and add different greens and really you can live with it and it becomes part of you how you cook and you don't really need to ever look at the recipe. And I really wanted a book where if you're on holiday and you're visiting someone at the beach with very basic kitchen, like, and you want to make a cake, which has happened to me a lot of times. And I'm like, oh my God, um, I don't have like what I, I can't really remember a complicated mm. recipe. I don't even have like a basic cake recipe my mother would have made with eggs and other things in it. So I was kind of like, I don't also, the local shop probably doesn't have a million gluten-free flours, you know? So I kind of started making these kind of simple things and I thought, this is so convenient. Everyone that tried it loved it. And I thought, oh, this is good. It's pleasing everybody. I mean, there's also a vegan version in there um, for people that don't eat eggs. But 
I, I just wanted that, those really useful things. And for people to really be getting the keys and the tools to eat well and cook well and cook, you know, in general. So it sort of came like they had to be really good bases and then be things that can be made a lot of different ways. And it also meant I didn't have to decide on the best cake was it the peach? Was it the pear? Was it, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, you can make all these and then also go further. I mean, there's so many variations. I just didn't have time to test. Like I had some, some chapters had even more. And it was like, no one's going to know if I have like one less variation in this massive chapter, you know? So I really tried to just keep it to really good ones, but I also like doing a little bit more unusual, like a shiso dressing, like that would be annoying if that was the only dressing in there because like when how often are you getting local shiso like I don't know not not yeah. always and maybe never you know so so there's other ones there for you to make if you know year round as well it's also see you know you can make something in each chapter there's sort of every season covered so I sort of didn't want to be restricted to seasons and there's one other thing <laughs> um, I I was you know the the group shots in my first book were what inspires me like a group of tarts with all different colors and fruits and different crusts and they all can be mixed and matched and I felt like I touched on that in the first book I don't know if any of you have the first book but that idea behind that tart photograph and there's two like spring and summer so just like that draws me in because I just feel like wow all these colors and what can I do and there's definitely a nut and a seed and some flavorings that you have in your pantry in those 12 or however many variations Let's kind of go back a little okay. bit. So you're from Australia. <laughs> so I was born there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tell us a little bit about your, when you got here, you were the executive chef at Angelica. So I was there in 2003 to 2010, first as a pastry chef and then as executive chef, well, creative executive chef. We kind of shared the position because I was like, I don't want to know. This is like such a big responsibility. It's a, you know, operated 24-7. They never locked the door. There's like 70 or 80 staff. It was just hundreds of ingredients, all local purveyors, very complicated ordering system, you know, and, mm -hmm. and well-oiled machine. So I didn't really have to try to change anything there. I just had to come in and create new ideas and product research and all the fun things I like to do. So what do you think you learned there? Oh, I learned a lot. I probably learned most about micro seasons, you know, like okay. these little times where like a farmer will have, you know, some special microgreen. And, you know, I really learned about, yeah, lo really eating local and what it really meant because all of our soybeans were grown locally and made into tofu locally or tempeh. There was so much thought involved in that and, and how we just, if it was available, we had to get it locally. So that meant changing everything a lot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just respect for farmers. And we had like 30 different farmers, someone that just grew garlic. Mm -hmm. We could say to them, okay, on our Thanksgiving menu, we want to do Treviso. And so they would grow it for us especially. So it was a real honor, actually. Like it was really a really strong connection to nature and the seasons and the farmers and the people that grew the food. They would deliver it and we'd meet them. And yeah. And then from there, you started private chefing? Yeah, then, well, I was already, when I first moved to New York, I worked in another place, but I was a personal chef because that actually very appealed to me after having a catering business in London where I was cooking for, you know, weddings for hundreds of people and big stuff. Um, and it was so stressful and, you know, just it's something completely the opposite to cooking for like one person or a family. Yeah. And I really love the idea of just like thinking about their health and what they really wanted and attention to detail and not having to like make 10 cakes, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I did that a little bit when I first arrived and... I did stop it when I was executive chef because I just couldn't do anything else. 
Um, and then I picked it up again when, when I left and I started teaching, you know, just small classes and then privately. And mm. now I teach class in the Bronx, which is a government funded class for dentists actually that are studying dentistry oh, and wow. they pay me to come and teach them about nutrition because they want that to be passed on to their patients and there's a lot of obesity and teeth problems and they connected it all and so I do these nutrition classes which is the most rewarding work that I do actually because they don't ever cook a red lentil or know how to saute onions and mm -hmm. we get to do all this stuff and they get to eat well. It's great. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. You told me earlier that cooking for families and doing the personal chef, private chef thing kept you always very kind of interested in what the new things that people were looking for. And yeah, no, it just, I mean, I wouldn't have come up with all these recipes unless I had to. Maybe I would have, but it would have been like a different process. Like I feel like people ask for grain-free porridge. And so then I'm like, oh, actually I could do this or, you know, this could work. And then it became, you know, a base recipe in there. Mm -hmm. um, and people ask for a lot of um, gluten-free and dairy-free but not vegan. And, you know, so then I found myself searching for recipes for muffins with eggs. And, you know, it's just not yeah. where I ca came from because all my baking was vegan yeah, I don't really know how to use dairy and eggs, honestly. I'm kind of hopeless. I just add them to, like, I like crumbling a bit of cheese over my food or, you know, avocado or goat cheese or and I just change it up. Mm -hmm. And But I never really cook with dairy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not in my food. Yeah. So I don't really understand how, I'm often calling my sister going, oh, I just totally fucked up this buttercream. Like, how do you make it? Like, I'm, and she just thinks it's so fun. She's like, do not do dairy, Amy. Just, just don't do it. But you eat you know, dairy like, in your life. Yeah, I eat it. Yeah. But that, that's like, it, but I'm not cooking with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not knowing like exactly what's going to happen with those egg whites. You know, like I had to yeah. make from my, my, one of my clients, birth, her, her son was like fantasizing over this sponge cake. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I started looking up all these recipes for and it didn't work because they were like, well, we don't want white sugar. And, you know, it just doesn't yeah. work without, yeah. you know. So so then here I am. Like, I should know that. I should probably know that, that I haven't tried it. So yeah. I tried it. It was completely flat. It was like a pancake. And so then I had to make it again and, you know, finally got something decent and yeah. eight layers because we had all these layers. Yeah. So <laughs> you're experimenting for other yeah, people. Yeah, I'm always experimenting. Yeah. I'm always experimenting. That's the thing. And it's actually a little risky because you go in there and you, they want dinner that night and food <laughs> for the rest of the week. And I'm like, I've never made this recipe before. I'm like, God, why out of all the recipes I've got, why am I trying something new? But it does get results. Like yeah. you do end up with recipes you know work every time no matter which oven you do it, you know, there are really good sure fire recipes. Well, every recipe I've tried from here has right. worked. A few. Your recipes here are gluten-free, dairy-free, and refined sugar-free. Well, you know, the first book is actually refined sugar-free too. I mean, you know, maple syrup isn't refined, but it's concentrated. Mm -hmm. And in this book, I focus more on other ways to sweeten if you are giving up sugar because I eat like that. I feel the best when I do. And um, a, a lot of my clients don't eat anything, like no dates, no fruit, just some berries and a bit of orange. Occasionally I can sneak a bit of orange juice in. So I'm, there's a whole lot of muffins in there that actually work really well. With And, you know, there's sneaky things to do. Like you need to add some flavor. You can't just mm -hmm. take it out because then it's like boring. But if you mm -hmm. add orange zest and cinnamon and vanilla and mm -hmm. coconut, None of those things are dates or <laughs> maple, yeah. and they will taste sweet-ish. And then if you have a bit of coconut yogurt on it or something, you know, toasted, and there's different mm -hmm. ways to do it. So I got really into those tricky things with, like, the muffins in there. 
um, and they're delicious without it. I actually think, wow, this is this is this is an, it feels indulgent, even though it isn't, just because mm-hmm. of all the other flavors. So I was doing a lot of gluten free. A lot of people were asking for bread, and that's how the bread chapter came about. Uh, I talked about Sophie McKenzie. I don't know if you know her. She had this amazing bread recipe on her blog, and one of my clients said, "Can you make this?" And that sort of sparked this whole sort of thing with soaking seeds, soaking grains and blending them, which is what I did in my first book for some pancakes and things. And I love activating grains and then using them. So it's flour free, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just whole grains and seeds. So it was just shaping up. I was realizing this is going to be gluten-free. I mean, everyone in my life now is or wants to be or something. So we just thought might as well. And the dairy wasn't hard because my first book it's only as a topping here and there mm-hmm. anyway. But And refined sugar-free, the first yeah, one was too. It just wasn't labelled. Yeah, it just wasn't yeah. labelled that. Eggs seem to be like the hardest thing to replace in cakes and Right, and yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. Are you like a flax egg well, person, no. aquafaba person? You know, it's funny. I never cooked when I was a pastry chef and, and I still was focused on pastry for like, I don't know, a lot of the time in my career from the 90s into working at Angelica. I never tried to make a a recipe vegan. Like I would get Mm -hmm. the idea, but I would still use a good vegan cake recipe and change it rather than try to make my favorite cake recipe vegan. You know what I mean? So, so when people say to me, one person said, Oh, how do you make that with eggs? Like, did you use the flax? And then I was like, I don't even, I never made it with eggs. Like I always made it this way, you know, Mm -hmm. and then change it up from there. So you know, I've never, I haven't, I haven't really experimented with aquafaba either, yeah. although I think it sounds really good and I've had some good things, but, um, yeah, I didn't. And you probably go, have a lot of aquafaba when you're Yeah, I know. And I, I know. And soaking. I still haven't really yeah, embraced that, but, yeah. but I think that's, that's a great thing. And it doesn't yeah. feel like a replacement in a way. It's another thing. I just feel like I sort of separate them. Like I love a good cake with eggs and butter. And if someone else makes it, <laughs> mine are hopeless. <laughs> they really no are. Dairy in it. I mean, eggs is one thing of like, oh, this works with eggs really well. And there's a vegan version where I do use flax. It's okay. true. But I, you have to change more than just that. You yeah. need to then add something with a bit of like brown rice flour. So Mm -hmm. in the simple cake chapter, the vegan version has a bit of brown rice flour. You need to increase the baking time. (laughs) There's just so many other things I feel like you need to do to, and a bit more baking powder because eggs, leaven, you know. So I did, so that one actually I did make vegan. So that's the only time I've really done it actually. Mm -hmm. When you write a book, it's almost like a, you're usually publishers make you be in some sort of position so yeah, they, right. they can take you and put you in this box and then they can sell you to all the people that are in that box. How do you feel? So Any I grew up vegetarian. Animal? Yes. Although, you know, some, a friend of mine picks oysters in Nantucket and he like grows them himself. And I feel like I have to try one of those, like just because I'm going to offend him, yeah. you know, and also I'm curious, but I can have like one or two and then I'm like, okay, I know yeah. it's good for my kidneys, <laughs> like Chinese medicine wise, but I can't really eat, you know, and yeah. relax about it, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. Is it an anxiety thing that no, when you eat just, it? No, it's just I okay. kind of just don't really get it or something, you know. So, yeah. so I've never really tried to replace the meat, which is why I sort of feel the same way about vegan. But I don't really try to replace anything. It's a whole other thing, you know. And none of my clients are vegan. Like they all eat meat probably on the side. I can't cook it for them. Okay. And they know that and they're very disappointed about that. Like can't you please just cook a bit of fish? I'm like I have no idea where to get it, what's sustainable really. Like I don't want to research that. Like I've got enough going on with like my whole world, you know. So I feel like there's enough there. Yeah, so I so I don't mind. I mean, I'm going to be categorized as vegetarian. Yeah. But that's fine. I yeah. don't really need to go any further than that, you know, because – 
I mean, a lot of vegans are probably disappointed that there's some eggs, but you know what? There's probably all of them can be made vegan, I think. I didn't even count, but last time with my last book, it was like 95%, so yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, you dedicate the book first to your mother hmm. and how she was... I get emotional when I talk about parents. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I can too. I think it's when you live far when away When she too. was very connected to nature mm. and... Yeah, she really is like connected in another like it's a spiritual thing for her and she's very aware of just so much sounds and sight and biodynamic farming and like she's very into it and I just feel like she will wither like she will she can handle New York for a short period of time but and I get that now that I've been living out of the city I'm like oh my god the noise pollution and uh, how do how do I can't stand it. Like everyone, you know, so, so for her coming from like deep in nature, like where I grew up, like it's very far from everything. And still it is, it's still, it's not like now populated. It is right out of the way. It, you know, you have to take a little plane, you know, and then you drive and it's a little tiny town called Dundarabin, which means like stringy bark in Aboriginal. And it's kind of like a combination of sort of artists and hippies and not many people and kind of rev heads and, you know, it's a... Did you grow up in that kind of environment? I did. So everyone in the community built their own houses. We built our house with mud bricks that we handmade and sun-dried, my parents, and when we were kids. So we were like in the mud pit. We stomped on the to make the mud fine and then put them in moulds that my father built sun-dried them, then built a hexagonal house with them. Wow, that's amazing. With, like, all reclaimed wood and windows and composting toilet and, yeah. Wow. It was, like, wow. off the grid <laughs> then, <laughs> you know. So so that – and we had to – we didn't have a choice about what we ate. I mean, everything had to be cooked, obviously, and grown. I mean, there was, like, a stores, like, 30 minutes away, not very much, and then everything was, like, an hour and a half's drive. So were you homeschooled? Or no, like- there was a little school there, okay. like 20 children. And then we moved part-time closer to a Steiner school, and I went to a Steiner school, the Waldorf school, you call it here. Yeah. yeah. So was your mom predominantly the cook of your family? Yeah, but my father baked the bread and made stuff, although today he admits to me I don't even like cooking. And I was like, oh, that's funny, because he did cook. I mean, my, my mother's like, oh, I don't want to cook. You know, she just eats bread and cheese now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty Really good bread and really good cheese yeah. and butter. And but some she's stuff a vegetarian. She's a vegetarian, yeah. like... Yeah. Pro, more than anyone I know. But she she's very well, like her own scones, you know, that she makes, whipped cream and, you know, like she really and makes her own jams. And I mean, she lives well, my mother. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like she's really like having these indulgent, what we call indulgences, but it's just like so wholesome with yeah. her, you know. We should all live like that. Yeah. Just taking time, I think, maybe to enjoy it. That, right. Every time I go to New York now, I get really overwhelmed. I've been there a really long time and living in Manhattan for a long time, you really, you start really needing more nature in your life. I mean, I think that's why with my first book, The Farmer's Market is just like my, like I had to go there all the time. And mm-hmm. that was like, that's the way you stay in touch with nature is cooking. Mm-hmm. It really is because in, in a city environment anyway. Yeah. I feel like you need good food more so and healthy and you need to cook more than even though you have all these options yeah. I feel like for me it's yeah. that's what kept me sane and I cooked more than I have cooked anywhere living there yeah you have recently become a mother how is that going <laughs> good I think no. <laughs> it's just it's just going five months <laughs> good five and a half months <laughs> yeah yeah my god I know 
Has that affected your time in the kitchen or yeah. anything? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't have time for any of this. Like, today is the first time I've made crackers in a long time. No. <laughs> now I'm eating toast. That's it. Three meals a day. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like gluten and all the things that aren't in there. Actually, sugar to stay awake. Yeah. I feel like, wow, that is unrealistic for a new mum or even a mother, maybe, for a very long time yeah. to eat, you know. But, but there are things in there that I, you know, and even when the, when I was, a new mother and the book was building up to come out and I was able to share a little bit more about it. I felt like, oh, wow, this whole meal actually is in this book. Like it's some quick cooked chickpeas that I mashed up with whatever and some za'atar that I made, you know, for the shoot. (laughs) But, but, you know, and I boiled an egg and, you know, and I had these grains and, you know, so these simple meals are reflected in there and you can really say, wow, it's all in there, you know. I think that's it for my questions. Let's open it up to questions. I love questions. What is your favorite thing in the book? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because the, the things that I might like to eat, I'm not going to really do all the time. Like the crackers, I love eating. But then it's like, oh, uh, I don't really have time anymore to make that right now. But um, the dressings has come up a lot because I feel like they are such a – they're a little bit different because they're blended vegetable dressings, which doesn't sound very good. It sounds like a smoothie, <laughs> a savory smoothie. It's a savory smoothie, but um, they are really versatile and and they're they're vibrant coloured and they sort of make any kind of grain or bean bowl look nice. So there's a mint fennel cilantro or maybe I, I don't remember exactly all the variations I decided on because it was like very hard to work out like where do I use this herb and that herb, but that's so bright that I was saying to someone recently, like I just drizzle it on like beans in a taco shell or, you know, how there's so many ways to use them. Like they're never actually on lettuce. Like they're on other things like steamed vegetables or grains and they're a really great way to dress up. I mean, all this food is very simple in case you didn't notice. Like it's really basic. I I sort of feel like there's just sort of ways to make it interesting and different. We really want to make sure there was ways to put things together. And I started stressing out during the shoots because I was like, I need to show in photos how to like put it all together because that's what the idea was. Each chapter was going to sort of show like incorporating, but that was just like overwhelming. So we ended up doing charts, which were much more efficient. And there are some photos where there's a whole roasted sweet potato split in half with marinated heirloom beans and a dressing. And that's all spelt out in there. So the charts are amazing. Yeah. If you do identify as like a healthier eater, what are some things from the book that you would feel comfortable and like not awkward, like feeding? Right. Oh, that's a great question. I got asked that too, like um, by somebody who said, you know, who, what dinner party guests would you have? And I was like, people that like eating well and like I can easily cook for, you know, there's no pressure to kind of impress. But I was feeding like the photographer and when we were working on this and he was like, I just love eating like this. And I thought, oh, it was such a relief. But it's this one, which is the same chickpea base recipe as this, but instead of almonds and sumac, it's got pine nuts and rosemary and lemon replaces the vinegar. It's very simple with roasted vegetables and a few leaves. And I felt like it looked really impressive, you know, on the plate, but it's so simple. This can be any season, right? Warm roasted vegetables or a crunchy salad in summer. I've been going to this in my thoughts lately, but um, you'd also impress them with the crackers as a starter. Mate, the soups we called simple and healing because one of my testers was like, "Mm." (laughs) the people I served this to were a bit like, it didn't have as much flavor as your normal book. And I felt like it didn't really punch, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, shit. Like maybe no one's going to like this. So, but they are very healing. And I feel like they're a way to sort of infuse you with 
a whole lot of greens or mm-hmm. use your squash up. But then I started developing all these other, you know, combinations of like adding hazelnuts and rosemary and with butternut squash and kind of like infusing them. And then that's like something maybe you'd serve to a guest at Thanksgiving or something. Whereas like the plain, the base recipe soups are probably too simple. I feel like add herbs and adding things like those flavors, I feel like people love. You could add a pile of herbs to this, you know, fresh leaves. and. What would you say was way easier with the second book? So what was easier about doing the second one? Nothing. (laughs) It was harder. I came out, I I was feeling pretty good after three years ago when I signed this. I thought, I've done this before. I know how excruciatingly painful and hard it is and I'm going to be good. I I, I know, you know, what the routine is with like never-ending editing and never feel like you're ever going to have the book out. And, you know, this was just so much harder because I think the concept was, it, you know, it's not recipe, photo, head note, and, all the, and, and I took out all the head notes. The funnest part of writing a book is the head notes. There's none. So, so that was a bummer in a way. But it was my choice. It was just like figuring out how do I make this not so hard? I mean, you have to work anyway for this book. You've got to go back and forward. I even get confused. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I started sweating, like, thinking, oh, my God. No, everyone's going to be complaining about this. Like, they're not going to be able to get it right and everything. But I kept going back to really inspiring learning, learning basics, memorizing them, hopefully, you know, some recipes and really just getting it into a part of your life and making it your own. So that was one of my little things in my mind was like recipes to make your own, not just make your own food, but make them your own, like Mm -hmm. really own them. And that's when we, we feel best about them when it's like, Oh, I make this recipe. I got it from blah, blah, blah. But I made it into something else, you know, so that, that, I kept going back to that, but it was just really hard. I mean, I moved. I mean, so many things happened. I just decided to work with people that were on the other side of the world and had to come all the way up to upstate New York. I didn't know where to get anything, no vegetable. I mean, it was just really challenging. Um, plus, I was really felt on my own. I felt like with my first book, you know, my editor was on the shoot. So when we got a good shot and she said, yeah, great, we moved on. Whereas this one, we were shooting and then I was showing the art director and they're like, oh, you didn't get a picture of some beats? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I just I like killed myself like to do because I cooked everything. They were taking photos of me as well as styled all the food, art directed everything, hosted all these people. You know, it was just, it was very intense. And then the editing was just even more grueling. And, you know, they cut out a lot of personal stuff. And, you know, it was like, it was like, oh, okay. So I was offended. And then, you know, it was like, I just went into like a lot of, it was very, it was a bit. And then I lost a whole lot. My computer crashed. I lost a week of sitting down 12 hour days editing. I lost the whole thing. I cried. I thought, I just want to give the money back. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> like I really, so it was just not easier at all. The first book also, you're so excited to like, Shan, you can't wait till it comes out. And like, I was thinking, oh my God, like people, <laughs> I didn't have my hand held as much with the first book. I feel like they hold your hand a little bit maybe, but, but I was kind of like on my own and freaking out and, um, and then, you know, and then being edited and just going, oh my God, like, I don't know. Yeah. Just, there's a lot of doubt there. Just like mm-hmm. with anything when you're putting yourself out there, but also yeah, trying something really different. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was worried. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself in like a cooking rut and what do you do? Oh, that's a good question. The cooking rut thing. I think, thank, you know, you get into one a little bit maybe, but then the seasons change. And if you're steaming vegetables, 
<laughs> the whole year. <laughs> There's always some new vegetable to steam if you're at the farmer's market. So I feel like my ruts, you know, I, I, I eat very, I'm, I'm happy to eat really simply. That's the thing. Thank God. Right. Because yeah, I can't make complicated things all the time. And sometimes I feel like when I have people to dinner that are like really into cooking and stuff, I think, oh, what am I going to make them? Like, that is a good question when you eat really simply, but most people are really happy actually if it's done well, you know, it's good ingredients. Inspiration, I feel like, comes from everywhere. I mean, people like Aaron and, you know, there's so many people making beautiful books and beautiful imagery and just that are artists really inspire me, you know, like, and there's so many now, but like Heidi Swanson and Aaron and a lot of, a lot of people that I've met through, you know, the blogging world and cookbooks, Sarah Britton and Laura Wright. I mean, I feel like they come up with fantastic ideas and it's just so nice to see someone else's perspective because you're very alone, especially when you're creating a book. I feel like I don't even have time to look anywhere. You know, you're getting books sent and you're like hearing things, but you can't really focus on it Mm -hmm. because you're so like, where am I going, you know, with a book. But in life, I love opening other people's things and find, and there's always something new because I feel like you even though you might read it cover to cover, it's like you don't know it intimately, you know, because you didn't work on it. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you so much, Erin and Amy. Thank you. Many thanks to Amy Chaplin for visiting us in Seattle and to Erin Guayaga for leading the conversation. Thank you also to Artisan Publishing. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Whole Food Cooking Every Day, and those we have as of this recording in the shop are in fact signed, and other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. If you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Lara Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.